Hello and welcome to another episode of the UK Airshow Review Podcast, the podcast that we started when we had no airshows to review. My name is Sam Wise. On the forum, I'm Wissam24. And with me today, starting with Ian, are... Uh, Ian? (laughs) (laughs) Ian G, uh, Ian Garfield. Tom Jones, Tommy on the forum. And Dan Ledwood, Ledhead27 on the forum. (laughs) (laughs) What? <laughs> we all need to get our forum usernames changed, so it's like Ian ha 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 on the forum, Tom he 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 underscore Wissam underscore four twenty. Big X little X, big X little X. You know, so back to three six. Tom, Tom XO fangirl. Got to think about the intro to the podcast as well at some point. I just we we just I mean it's now tradition that we just cock it up every single time. It is now. It's now just a, just a famous podcast intro um, after fifteen episodes. So today, we've mentioned before in the podcast that our own Dan Ledwood, well, technically is still a commercial pilot because he holds his license, but used to fly for Flybe. Obviously, um, went bust at the beginning of the year, and while we have you know m- maybe take the piss out of commercial flying from time to time, it's it's a very interesting. <laughs> field it's aviation it's flying i'm sure there are probably a lot of people listening who either have wanted to like do or want to go into a career in commercial aviation lots of people want to be pilots when they grow up um so we thought it would be good fun and very interesting to chat to dan about his career what led to it and obviously maybe a little look at the future um so dan why don't you tell us how you started when did you know you wanted to become a pilot and what were the first steps you took towards making it happen Um, so I've been interested in aviation for pretty much as long as I can remember so I think I'd mentioned it in a previous podcast that my my first memory of really liking or being having an interest in aviation was when I went on holiday with my parents uh, to Rhodes in Greece and I had a, a rubber playmat and it was an airport terminal layout and you had airport vehicles and aeroplanes and I used to run around with them and it also by chance happened to be that our villa that we were staying in was on the approach to the airport in Rhodes and I just sat on the balcony essentially all day lathered in sun cream just watching planes go past going plane plane I didn't like know what the planes were at the time but I was you know really interested um and then from there on, it was, you know, when I was younger, books and watching films with planes in them on the TV and stuff like that. Um, and then when I was older, a little bit older, and I understood it a bit more, and I had my first, I had a really crappy camera that my parents had given me. We started going to like East Midlands Airport and Manchester Airport. And my parents got me, um, or us, I should say, a tour on the, on the Concorde at Manchester Airport. Um, in its in its new hangar at the time, so it had been about I think maybe 2012, sort of 2011, 2012, sort of around that time. Um, and the reception, I, we walked around. It was very interesting. Like, of course, it was a Concorde. It was the first time I'd ever been on a Concorde as well. You know, everybody loves a Concorde. We've said that before on the fo- on the podcast that if there's one plane to have a good wander around, then it's a Concorde. Um, and we finished the tour, very interesting, and the receptionist was asking, you know, um, 
was it was I there just because of conquest? I said, I'm, you know, I've always had an interest in aviation ever since I was really little. And I said, I'd really like to be a pilot. Um, it was either that or be a, well, I think I said I wanted to be a bus driver. But, um, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're effectively the same thing, just yeah. one has yeah, wings. I did, someone actually did once stop me and ask me, say, well, are you a bus driver at Bournemouth, Bournemouth Bus Company? I went, no, I'm a trainee pilot, but, because the uniform was essentially the same. <laughs> Um, told me that before. I, it's one that I don't like to mention. Excuse me, are you a bus driver? Do you know Do you know where the number three goes and at what time? No, I don't. I don't drive the buses. I I fly planes. Oh right. The the look of disappointment on their face when I said I didn't drive a bus was pretty damning. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I said to the reception, I said yeah, um, love to. I'd love to be a pilot. Um, but I don't think I can do it because and. I don't think I'm alone in thinking this, and it isn't wrong, but everyone thinks it's very expensive. It is. Uh, I'm. I'll say that from the get-go. Getting into commercial aviation is not a cheap uh, profession to get into. Um, it never has been. I think there's been this sort of common misconception that airlines used to provide sponsorship, um, like uh, you know, to everybody. Um, and that isn't the case. It, it's it's there's been more opportunities in the past, but ninety eight percent of the time you have to pay pretty large sums of money to get where you want. So I said to the receptionist, I said, "Do you know what? I don't think I can afford it. Um, I'd love to, um, but I'm not sure." And her son, at the time, had just started with Monarch Airlines, uh, flying the A three thirty, and she started talking about her son, and she said, "Well." If you're really interested in aviation, um, go for a trial flight. Um, she said you might not like flying. You know, you might get in it and you you might be terrified. Um, so I said, oh, that's a, you know, that'd be fun. You know, go up in a Cessna and see, fly over like Lincolnshire at 3,000 feet. It's, diff- it's totally different to commercial flying. Um, and my, and I didn't, to be honest, I didn't think it was going to go anywhere from that. Um but my parents went, do you know what? Yeah, okay, we'll pay for you to go for an hour, hour's flight out of Gamston, Redford in a Cessna 152. Um, and you can see if you like it. Uh, and I went, I was 13 at the time, and it was everything that I expected it to be. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, we did a, a short flight out over to Hull, came back, did one touch and go, um, did you have control of it uh, during the flight? I did, yeah. Um, obviously, it, it's all sort of fo- follow me on the controls. So he was in control, but I could, you know, waggle the wings and stuff like that and play with the throttle and stuff. Um, and we landed, and the guy, uh, Tony, his name was, he, who eventually ended up actually being my private pilot license instructor said did you enjoy it and I just smiled at him and he went yeah you 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 could tell you enjoyed that and I told my parents I must have come into the room like uh, a kid in a sweet shop I was like oh my god that was absolutely amazing I want to go do this and from from there on the it, it just developed into okay well you can go for flying lessons <laughs> and your parents said <laughs> yeah, but we can't. Okay. But I, I, in all seriousness, didn't expect it to be as easy as that to 
to, to sort of twist their arm into doing it. But they, they knew from the get-go that I was passionate about it. And it wasn't sort of one of these things where I'd sort of half-assed want to do it. It was what I really wanted to do. So was it always your intention to be a... Um... A commercial pilot or would you like that so when you'd had those trial flights would you have been happy to at the time to say you know I'm fine for just getting a PPL and and you know flying around in Cessnas or or whatever else you know local so flying weird. clubs yeah so I mean at the time you you sort of think or oh, 13 year old me was thinking I want to fly but I'm not sure what I want to do with it the, the one thing that I definitely didn't want to do which t- tended to to surprise people at school when I told people that I was learning to fly was, oh, you want to be in the RAF then? Because I think that's, when, whenever you mention pilot, I think everyone mm. assumes, oh, they mm. want to join the Royal Air Force and be a Red Arrows pilot. Um, and I've never particularly had an interest in wanting to join, not just the RAF, Royal Navy, whatever. Um, by that point, my eyesight had got pretty bad. That sounds like my eyesight's dangerous, like really dangerous, and I shouldn't <laughs> be flying. Um, but so I wear glasses, and by that point, my eyesight wouldn't have been good enough to fly fixed wing. So I could only, if I wanted to join the RAF, I would only be allowed to fly rotary, which I, I found out in my medical, which I found a bit bizarre. Like, why would I be allowed to fly helicopters and Tom, not Tom, fly fixed Tom's wing? raging at the idea of only be allowed to fly. <laughs> you can't, I was going to say, that's, that's did a, you turn it down? That's a, that's a slight against all rotary. <laughs> we're we're going to end this podcast now. <laughs> so, but why? But so, so why didn't you? Were you were you just not interested? Did you actually it, give it any thought and and then come to the conclusion that you didn't want to? Or so I think. I think it was more the point I'd, I'd done research into it and I think I realised that in the RAF you don't actually do that much flying in terms of actual flying hours compared to a commercial pilot so when I was at Flybe I was doing about 700 hours a year flying which is quite high for for mm. commercial but that's because of the nature of, nature of the beast as it were um I don't know what the... I think it was about 100 hours, maybe, you were getting per year. If you were year? Looking at a year? I, I, don't, I don't know. You might be able to... to. That's probably quite high, though, still, I'm guessing. It depends what you're going to. I'm guessing fast jet, that's quite high. I don't know. Sam, you sounded like you knew then. Well, no, it's just 100 hours doesn't seem like nothing. Well, I, maybe there's lots of simulator time. You know, well, yeah, it probably is now, yeah. Put it and, it, and nowadays it is, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, from from as I say, sort of from square one, I wasn't bothered about going into military flying, but it was what I was going to do with it, other than not do military. And then sort of as I as I went on and I got close to finishing my PPL, I started fathoming out like right, okay, I want to go and do, I want to go down the route that I ended up taking, which I'll get to in a bit, I'm sure. Do you um? You collect numbers and registrations. Have you ever seen the plane that you first flew in since? Um, do you know what? No. And I, but annoyingly, I saw a photo of it online, and I, like, nearly exploded with excitement because <laughs> it had been repainted. Um, so, so the aircraft. So, for anyone who wants to hunt registrations, that's listened to this. It was Golf Bravo. You say FK. that like that's not you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. Get get snowbook out. Um, it was Golf Bravo Oscar Kilo. So, 
um, be okay, as as we used to call it. Um, to be honest, at the time it was. <laughs> you like that, Ian? Carry on. Um, and it was actually, uh, it was a piece of junk. <laughs> it was, it was a gutless set. Like so, it was a gutless Cessna 152. It was old. I mean, it was. It's one of those aircraft, and you end up finding it's a bit like a car that's been a courtesy car all its life or uh, been used for driving lessons all its life and it's just been shagged within an inch of its life <laughs> it's it's seen so many hard landings and yeah. wonky student flying it's probably the most bent Cessna ever <laughs> um, but it ended up so I flew Oscar Kilo when I was learning to fly and a couple of others and it ended up leaving after about a year and a half of me learning to fly um, and it ended up somewhere down south and it got repainted and it actually looks quite jazzy now um, but beforehand it looked awful um, but when I after I passed my PPL and I was hours building I ended up going back to Gamston and um, I'd fly some of the old aircraft that I did my PPL on, which was quite nice because I was like oh I you know I, I learned how to fly in this and but um, no I, I have a word document somewhere which I have actually got a list of every single registration and aircraft that I've flown that doesn't Which. surprise me, though. Well, isn't that just called your logbook? Well, it, yeah, you can go through... I mean, I, I'm quite old-fashioned, so I have a I have a paper logbook, which is just a big blue A4-sized book with, like, 300 M, uh, sheets in it. Get with the times, old man. But a lot of... I know. Um, a lot of people have um, online logbooks now. Mm. Um, which you know it'd be easy to find out which aircraft you have flown but I like to keep a, an actual list so I kept I ended up keeping a list whilst I was at Flybe of every dash that I'd flown so I think I think whilst I was there I'd flown every dash by about three or four which was quite cool and what at what point did you know that that's that did you know the path you were going to take to become a commercial pilot I think, and, and and then obviously, what was that path? So by the time I had reached the end of, so, so I ended up, um, I did my GCSEs, and I went to sixth form because I knew that I wanted to go to university, which is an aside, which is something I'll discuss later on because the common misconception with commercial flying is you have to go to uni to be a pilot, and that's not true. So. But I'll get I'll get to that in a bit. So whilst I was at sixth form, it then started coming together, thinking, right, what do I actually want to do with this? <laughs> it's that exciting. Um, yeah, I knew that I couldn't just fly recreationally. I had to go and do something useful with it. So when you're there, you've you've got a, you've got a small number of options. You've got commercial flying, so flying for airlines, you've got corporate flying, which is quite difficult to get into um, and quite different from commercial flying. Even though it's on vaguely similar guidelines, it is a totally different kettle of fish. Uh, you've got flight instructing and various other like miscellaneous ones like aerial surveying and things like that. But I wanted to just, you know, bog standard, get into commercial aviation, but I knew that I didn't want to do long haul. So, because everyone, everyone assumes when you join an airline, like what Flybe was, 
um, that the natural progression is to do a few years at an airline like Flybe, and then you end up transitioning onto BA long haul, flying like triple sevens or flying the Dreamliners for two or something like that. But long haul has never been a particular ambition of mine. It might change in a few years, like with everything that's gone on recently, I might not have the ability to pick and choose what I want to go and do. Um, so I might be eating my words in a couple of years' time. Yeah, we'll that. make sure we put this on the CV. <laughs> <laughs> Dan said that he doesn't like long haul. Um, why, well, why but, don't you? For the simple ma- fact that you don't do much flying. Like, the standing joke with commercial aviation is the autopilot does a lot of the flying for you. And yes, it does. Like, airlines prefer you to use the autopilot because it is inherently safer. Um, but my sort of... And this this isn't to take anything away from long-haul pilots. It almost feels like you're doing more systems monitoring. So when, you are, when you're long-haul, um, that you have something called like cruise relief pilots that will just sit in the cruise. They won't fly the airplane, but they'll just, you know, they'll make sure that everything's fine. Whereas regional flying, you are up and down. Like Flyby, you are up and down. Like flights with no more than usually about an hour. And it was busy. It was constant. Like you're always having to do something. You get like 10, 15 minutes where you can chill out. Um, but yeah, I, I liked that kind of seat your pants flying sort of thing. I'd be interested to know if there are any commercial, any long haul pilots listening to this who would agree or disagree with your assessment. I mean, I, I I'm not going to pretend that I know everything about commercial aviation because I've only been. <laughs> Makes in a it. change. <laughs> <laughs> Sky God, um, I've I've only been <laughs> I'm poking in again. I've <laughs> I'm going to turn my video off. Um, is is, is the crap coming out of your microphone? That's the problem. <laughs> it's not the video. <laughs> Sky God. <laughs> Next podcast, Dan Ledwood, Sky God on the forum. That, that is the title of this episode now. God, God, of the, God. God of the Sky. You know that reminds me of an Ice Age where it's like, you may call me Lord of the Flame. And it's like, hey, Lord of the Flame, your tail's on fire. <laughs> hey, Sky, God. Sky God, you haven't got a plane you to fly. You haven't got anymore. a plane to fly. <laughs> <laughs> That daily reminder that I don't fly anymore. <laughs> so, um, so by the time it, so by the time you got to the point where you made the decision that you wanted to get into the air, like commercial aviation industry, um, how, what sort of, if you're prepared to say, what sort of costs, um, had you accrue to that point? Like, how many hours under your belt did you need before you could realistically start thinking about a career in commercial aviation? So the so the order that you do it in is you start off with your private pilot's license. So every single commercial pilot has to have a private pilot's license. Um, that can, It's a bit like a driving test. So you have your practical, which is the flying, but you also have your theory. Um, so at the time that was, um, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong on this. At the time it was seven exams. It was it was 
pretty it's it's multiple choice at the time it was multiple choice the guidelines keep changing so like now it's no longer multiple choice and you have to do more like word-based um calculative stuff mm -hmm. um so you do flight training your ppl sorry you do various exercises so each thing is broken down so like exercise one might be straight and level um exercise 12 and 13 which every ppl has the most of is circuits so you spend hours in the circuit just going round and round and round um you do cross countries you do um you work use radio navigators to like flying on ndbs and things like that non-directional beacons C correct gold star for you Maybe. um goddess and... of the sky right here <laughs> <laughs> and bef but before you can get your ppl you have to do your theory tests um, a bit like the, a bit like your driving test, and then you go and do your PPL skills test. Um, there's a few of the bits and bobs as well, like you have to do what's called a qualifying cross country. So it's a flight of no less than a certain distance off the top. I think it was about 150 nautical miles, and you do landaways at various other airfields. So, like for instance, I flew from Gamston to Leicester to Cambridge and then back to Gamston, and that made up the total distance required um, you do your skills test which covers everything that you ever did in flight training and my flight training took a bit longer because I was still at school in sixth form at the time so it was one of those things where I couldn't go flying during weekdays I had to fly during weekends so I had to go back and do like recurrency because sometimes there'd be like a period of like a month or so where I hadn't gone flying so the price for that for the PPL stage was probably about somewhere in the region of around ten thousand um, pounds. Wow. Yeah, and that's just for the PPL. Um, I then went to university again. Like I said, you don't have to go to university, so I I have my I had my tuition fees to pay on top of that. But that's sort of an aside. Um, the next step is to do your ATPL theory, so your air transport pilot's license theory. And again, that is, I think off the top of my head, 14 exams that you go and take at the CA headquarters at Gatwick, which is terrifying because it's a, you know, it, it feels like you're going to court or something like that. It's, mm. a, it's not a pleasant place to be. Um, that's, that's more time consuming than it is um, the, uh, more than anything else. Um, there's some of the topics are heavy like you're doing things like meteorology um, that's quite lengthy air law it's quite turgid you know some are more interesting than others I found meteorology quite interesting I found air law quite boring careful but yeah sorry Tom um, <laughs> but after that so you do your ATPL theory you then start doing your um so it's like further flight training so on top of that you need to have a certain number of hours so I mentioned earlier you have to do hours building so you have to have um, a minimum number of hours before you can start the next license so you need 200 hours to be able to do your commercial pilot's license which is the next step so I did that first you can combine it so you can do your CPL with your multi-engine instrument rating um, or you can do it the other way around it doesn't really matter at that point you, but what I'm 
essentially you have to do your commercial pilot's license which allows you to carry um, fair paying passengers essentially and it teaches it, it's, it, it builds upon what you learn in your PPL but you're learning more stuff like how to do navigation and, and things like that and then your instrument rating is of course not flying looking out the window it's using your navigation aids being able to do an ILS um, doing procedural approaches and things like that and that's where the price starts really ramping up because you're flying you're flying twin engined aircraft it's quite intense so it's at least about 25 hours something like that um, and then you've also got to factor in like other bits so the hours building as well because you, you pay for an aircraft essentially um, per hour so you pay for it usually what's called a wet price so that means you're paying for the aircraft and you're paying for the fuel on top of it so all this is That's adding crazy. up like, it, it's by this by the end of it you're probably looking considering that you also have to pay the flight school as well um, so I did it with the flight school at Bournemouth called BCFT it's looking at about eight to ninety thousand pounds total by the end of it. Crikey, is that all? Um, so how much? Eighty to ninety thousand pounds. And that is so. That's just that phase. That's just flight training. How and how much did you say? So to get your PPL, it was how much? About ten thousand. So and you're then, looking at about a, a hundred grand. Yeah. Just to get to there. Yeah, and there were some flight schools that will charge more than others just mm-hmm. because they they will so you can pay I I saw when I was looking around there was one that I saw at the time bearing in mind this was 2014 it was £104,000 that's um, mental and I, I'll I will openly say this I couldn't have done it without the support from my parents financially yeah. and I've met people and I applaud them for it that have grafted their arses off Sounds like a very privileged job. Yeah, in the it, sense I mean that that's certainly not open to everyone, is it? No, it, it it's 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 a bit like motor racing in the sense that only those with you know a reasonable amount of money can do it. Um, and it's just there is no cheap way to do flying. You can make it a bit cheap by you can so you can go overseas and do your um, CPL MEIR. Um, like there's flight schools in Poland and and in um, Italy and places like that, which are cheaper, but you you know you're still looking at big money for it. Mm. So, um, um, so you got to that stage. Um, so, what types had you flown by the time you got there? So, you were doing your hour build, your hours building. So, I remember, um, I think the first time I met you was at Abingdon Airfare in 2016. You flown into <laughs> that show, hadn't you? yeah. So was that part of your hours building thing? Yeah, so um, the PPL, I did it on, I, I did mine solely on Cessna 150s and 152s. I did a little bit of flying in Cessna Aerobats as well, but, you know, all essentially the same thing. Um, when I started hours building, I flew PA-28s quite a bit, Cessna 172s. I took Sam up in a Cessna 172 once. Robin HR200s, sort of your generic... People would call spam cams, spam cams, spam cans. There we go. Um, and then the hours building was 
so the hours building is basically up to you. You can do what you want with the hours building. Um, you can stay in the circuit for you know up to 200 hours if you really want to. You, you, there, there is no one to say, right, you have to go and do this. But when I was doing mine, I thought, do you know what? I want to make the most of the time that I've got to do this because this is essentially flying for fun. Mm. So I made it an effort to fly into air shows and go to flying. Like I flew to Old Warden a fair few times. You flew to the chipmunk meet, didn't you? Yeah, I flew to the chipmunk meet. Flew to the um, nearly ruined the whole thing <laughs> with my um, my space shuttle esque approach that you photoshopped. <laughs> coming in at like a thousand feet over the hedge <laughs> not aiming for the numbers um but yeah i mean it and it was nice because you got to so the reason i went to so many different airfields is most air, airfields have got cafes and restaurants and it was pretty good fun to just fly around and go let's go for lunch where do you want to go for lunch oh let's go let's go to leicester and um have lunch out there that's what the americans call the hundred dollar hamburger <laughs> yeah, um, and you always based a good uh, a good cross country flight on how good the food was. <laughs> so, um, Sh- Old Warden was up there. Like their sausage rolls are <laughs> flaming good. Yeah, big 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 portions. Top top three uh, airfield cafes then. Right, uh, top three. So number one, I think, has to be Thruxton. Because I had the best fry up ever there. Like my fried egg was on point. <laughs> okay, so Thruxton number one. Um, Old Warden number two, um, and third, I'm going to say Cywell. Cywell's a really good one. Yeah, for food. I, we we met first. No, it wasn't the first time, but I think the second time we met was at Cywell, and had a had a fry up at the cafe there. It was decent. Yeah. I gave a really shout good. out to Elstree as well. I had a not that I flew in there, obviously. Elstree is very good. Yeah, I had a, had a very um, nice fry up at Elstree as well. Honourable mention. Um, yeah, so if you can find an airfield with a with a good a good cafe, then tag them all in the tweet. A... <laughs> 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 Listen to our podcast. We're raving about your food. Free breakfast. <laughs> well, if there's lo- loads of other like-minded pilots that are thinking, oh, I need to plan a really good cross-country here, where, where should I go? Cywell, bacon eggs, straight on it. Um, yeah, if there are any, there are the... any airfield cafes in the feeling the need to sponsor any podcasts? Then... <laughs> we're, we're more, than, more than happy to fly out, all of us, just to check. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go sample it. I well, need to do some flying at We'll have moment, a $500 so. hamburger if we need to. <laughs> Um, so, what's the most exotic? Uh, so, sorry. So, where so where were you normally flying from? So, um, as I mentioned before, like my PPL took place at Gamston Redford, yeah. which, in its own right, has a really good cafe actually. Um, so, big up to Gamston. <laughs> um, so, and and so, what was, where was the most exotic place in the UK that you flew to? <sighs> most exotic. Um, so probably the the one where I felt most out of place per se was um I did a flight from Bournemouth to Biggin Hill. Um so um flew off flew along the south coast and then ended up sort of going between Odium and Farnborough and sort of coming up um from the from like the north um sorry, from the southwest. Um and it's a challenge in the fact that it's not it's not particularly exotic but you've got that much 
airspace so a lot of people think that in the uk you just sort of fly from a to b and you just do what you want and it, obviously it's not that simple like particularly around there you've got um you've got like class a airspace um controlled airspace everywhere so you have to be like on point with where you're going you can't just zip over the top of gatwick and everything will be fine and dandy um and like even when you get to an airport you've got noise abatement to adhere to which i got into trouble once at cardiff for not following noise abatement um slap on the wrist um what were you flying here 28 <laughs> What? Um, it's, it's a very sensitive city, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's more just they, just they just still don't trust these flying machines. <laughs> um, it's not where God intended man to be. So, so, so you had your. Uh, so, so you so so you got your you got to the point where you were training. So uh, nearly a hundred thousand pounds in. What what were the next steps from there? So, after doing the CPL and the MEIR, that was my time finished at Bournemouth. So, as I say, all my flight training, so my ACPL theory, um, part of my uni degree, and then the CPL, the MEIR were all done at BCFT. So that's where I did the other big chunk of my flying, other than at Gamston. After that, you have to do something called your MCC Jock. Um, You've so got to, JOC, you've got to explain what these acronyms are, man. So JOC is um, Jet Orientation Course, and MCC is basically multi-crew. So at this point, you're not you're flying on your own, as if you were the sole pilot. Whereas, obviously, in a commercial, when you're flying commercially, you need more than one pilot. So you have to get used to flying with another person, which is the idea of the course that I did, the MCC JOC. Um, the MCC, the multi-crew bit is like the crux of it, the, the, the core of the course. It's only a two-week course, it's not very long at all. Um, and then the jet, the jet orientation course is sort of bolted on afterwards. Um, so I did mine in Simtech in Dublin. There's loads of places that you can do it. It's all simulator flying. Um, you do none of it um, on a real aircraft. Um, so I flew like a, it was sort of a 737 A320 hybrid thing. And it was fixed base, so it's not like a full motion simulator that has hydraulic jacks. Um, also, it's probably worth mentioning, like, when I was doing my instrument rating, you do quite a bit of, you do a lot of simulator flying in that as well. Mm. So you start off in the simulator and then you go and do it in the aircraft um, in real life. Um, so once I've done my MCC jock, that's it you, you're basically good to go you need to go and find an airline that's crazy enough to recruit me um, <laughs> and that airline turned out to be Flybe yeah um, so I, I so you go what you've got is you've got your your single engine so I have my single engine piston PPL license which you don't actually need at that point but I, mine was still current you've got your MEIR um, your CPL you've obviously got to have your uh, class 1 medical as well so you have a class 2 medical at a PPL level and then you have a, a class 1 medical if you want it to go commercial and, and what, um, what does that what does that entail um, so a class 2 they're essentially one of the same I'm trying, to, I'm trying to actually remember what was in my class 1 medical that was different from my class 2 and I can't actually remember 
it's things like you have an ECG, obviously your eyesight's tested. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I do remember because the class one's done down at Gatwick at the CA headquarters. Um, yes, yeah. Um, you do a so you sit in like a, a soundproof box. You've got like a little clicker um, on a, a little red button on a clicker. You have a pair of earphones and they play beeps at different frequencies and volumes, which is horrible because you're sat in this room and you start thinking that you can hear beeps. It's probably worth mentioning my flying career almost stopped before it got off the ground in the sense that when I went for my class two, you have to do a colour test. Um, So they're called Ishihara plates. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you have used them. Um, So for people that don't know, an Ishihara plate is... It's a piece of card, it's got a number on it, but it's full of hundreds of dots. But there'll be like a number or a letter, and you have to say what the letter is. So like it might be on a it might be green dots, but the, the number's in orange. And I was doing it uh, during my class two. I couldn't actually I could do a few and then it got to certain colours and I thought, I can't I, I went, there's nothing there. It went, You sure? I went, Yeah, there's I I, I thought he was trying to catch me out. He was like, oh, that's a number eight. Here, have another one. Couldn't do it. So what it, what it transpired, to cut a long story short, was I was actually marginally colour deficient. So I couldn't see the symbols or uh, the numbers on the plate. So I ended up having to go for another test down at Gatwick to work out how colour deficient I was. And thankfully, it wasn't so bad as to stop me from flying. Because if it had been over a certain threshold, then you wouldn't be allowed to fly. The insane thing is that you you were already so far along the pathway at that point. So the, the, I wanted to get the get it done. So I'd only probably been flying, I don't know how many hours, maybe about 20 to 30 hours. It wasn't that much. And whilst it felt like crushing, like the, the trip to Gatwick was painful because I thought if I fail this, this is it. Like my hopes and dreams are over and I will have to be a bus driver. Um... <laughs> But it 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 was not something that needed. Wrong with bus drivers? Absolutely not. No. no and that, um, old, that old lady at Bournemouth would have been absolutely thrilled. So yeah, and I could have helped her out at what time <laughs> the number three left as the uh, bus station. Um, but it was something that needed it needed nipping in the bud because there was no point carrying on doing the flight training if it was, you know, if it wasn't going to go anywhere yeah. and I couldn't get a medical. Um, anyway, slight aside. Yeah. So the the medicals. You have them done every year. You have an ECG done every five years, um, and you have audiograms and things like that. Um, so it's it's just like a general health check, and it's good because it, it's it's nice to know that I'm actually fit and healthy. Do you feel a lot of pressure? The the theory of flying is the same from when you did a PPL. Then obviously you get your different type ratings. Is a a lot more pressure on going from say doing a cross country on your own and then having to transport however many passengers the you know whatever a dash eight holds i think you so a lot of people because that, that that's a question that i've obviously had asked quite a bit people go you know oh is it scary flying all these people and you know what if you stuff the landing um <laughs> you gotta you gotta explain these acronyms <laughs> <laughs> like absolutely hammer it into the ground yeah, yeah. Butter, um, butter that bread. <laughs> <laughs> like a cat pissing on velvet is my favourite one. Um, 
cats famously known for pissing? Is that a thing? <laughs> is it, do, I, do pilots say that? Like a cat, yeah, the other like one is like a silk. Like doesn't even make silk. sense. It's like saying like, oh, stick to me. Like, was it was it builders say all the time? Oh, stick to me like shit to a not well not builders. Some people say it. Stick to me like shit to a blanket or something. Like yeah. wet as an otter's pocket. <laughs> well, I can understand that. Otters are by definition wet. Oh, they got pockets though. Well, actually, well, it depends where. Well, you well you don't know Ian, do you? Have you checked? Have you well, asked uh, an otter? Do I? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Um, yeah, so you, uh, a cat was shitting on a pocket in a. Yeah, or a. Or a, <laughs> or a silkworm farting. That's another favourite one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you sort of forget that the passengers are there. Like, when you. When, so, when you are. When you're line training, it's very much in the back of your mind, you're thinking, Christ, I'm learning to. I'm sort of, you know, learning my trade whilst carrying 78 people. So. 78 was the max number of people that you could carry on a Dash 8 Q400. Um, when you end up thinking about the passengers more is when things start going wrong. So you get to your desk... or, or you the door and... <laughs> yeah, clawing at the door you wanting to get out. You can't ignore them any longer. <laughs> or when they've done like a really smelly fart and it sort of drifts into the flight deck, which it did happen on the Dash. So that, the the joy of being a first officer on the Q400 is the toilet is about six inches behind my head. So if someone's dropping a deuce, like you can hear it. Is there a ventilation slot or something? I like this is really valuable information for, for anyone. Who anyone learning on the dirty side of flying on down, a dash eight. It's like the pilots can 100% hear them plops. <laughs> this podcast has taken a turn. I didn't think it was good. <laughs> There's poo on every podcast. Come on, here. <laughs> do you remember that PA plane that had to land once? <laughs> to do an emergency landing because someone did a really smelly shit. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember hearing about that. I say I remember I, that. I, I remember hearing about it on that Bible. I, I have got a good poo story, but I'll save that for another time. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> but um, where was Until this going? You tempt us. <laughs> um, oh, so, yeah, when, when say, um, your destination's fogged out or, um, for instance, when something in the toilet caught fire it wasn't a shit it was something else <laughs> Good. it's when you start, it's it's when things like that happen um is when you start thinking christ what about the passengers um no in the set <laughs> not in the sense what do you think that, of the passengers christ, what about the passengers <laughs> we've forgotten the passengers <laughs> not, in, <laughs> not in the sense that oh god they've suddenly reappeared but like what's going to be you know we're, say for instance we fly to Southampton and we had to we had to divert to Heathrow how are they going to get how are they going to get to where they need to be what needs to be done I mean mm. this is usually sorted out by the by the airline like we had people in ops that would cover things like Hotak who sorted out hotels and stuff if if they needed that kind of stuff um, but it's you know it's it's always in important to ha- have a you know something in the back of your mind like not just for what's most commercially expeditious but what's going to be the benefit for the people in the back for us guys like the flight deck crew the cabin crew as well so so a lot of stuff to ju- juggle and when i was so sort of before Flybeam went bankrupt well went into administration um i was doing my command development so i was Learn starting the process to become a captain. Thinking about the passengers is something you have to doubly, doubly think about when you're the captain. 
what's um so is it, obviously now now you're at, well you were at Flybe um and and not anymore the the story of your journey to becoming a commercial aviation pilot seems to to me to be one of like um, one where you're driven always to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So you, you get your PPL, and then you th you're immediately thinking about what to do next. You know, you 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 do your multi-engine, etc. You go down to Bournemouth, you get to Flybe, and now you're and then you want to start your training to be a captain, which was cut short, unfortunately. Um, assuming that things had gone to plan, um, and Flybe hadn't folded, and COVID nineteen hadn't happened, which wouldn't that be nice? Um, <laughs> what what would have been your next step? What what do you see would have been your next steps in your journey? So the plan was so you know how I mentioned earlier that a lot of people, excuse me, used Flybe as a stepping stone to go to other airlines, mm. um, which is fine, and a lot of people did, and I think Flybe sort of knew that uh, that they wouldn't have the sort of job retention that other airlines like BA um, and other established carriers would have. But for me, it was more of a case of, okay, so my absolute goal was to get the command on the dash. And after that, I actually hadn't got anything else planned. I was happy to stay on the dash, get my command. You know, maybe a few years down the line, I'd have thought about becoming a line training captain um, or something, something like that, um, or doing more work in the sim or doing, you know, getting involved in flight efficiency and things like that. But... I would have been over the moon to have just been a captain on the Q400 at Flybe. Like that, that would have made me happy tenfold. It, it would have been perfect. So ideal situation now then, obviously Flybe's folded unfortunately, where would you like to end up without prejudicing whatever applications you might be sending out on the post? So um, as I've said, like region, regional flying for me is what I enjoy. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, there are no other Q400 operators mm. in the UK, so Flybe was quite niche in that respect. So I'm t I'm type rated on the Q400, so wherever I go, I'm going to have to get a new type rating, which is fine. It's not really an issue. I mean, like I went to Flybe with no type rating, and y you know y you trained up, so it's it it's not really detriment to you. The big detriment is the fact that I. There's a bit of a stigma attached to flying turboprops. So the Q400 was a turboprop. And more pilots usually fly jets. And some airlines tend to think that jet... Well, naturally, the jet pilots are more employable because a jet flies different to a turboprop without getting into pilot. sort of principles of flight. What uh, What is the process for type rating? Do, do you get like a sort of qualification kind of thing so it's it's on my, it's on my license so it says q400 and then i have my instrument rating attached to that so my single engine piston license has lapsed because i don't have the time to fly cessna 150s at the moment or did um i don't have my multi-engine piston anymore the only license that i have is my q400 type rating and my instrument rating is bolted onto that so the the instrument that I was mentioning earlier that I got flying twin engine props can get transferred onto the Q400. Um, so you're asking what what so you do you do your your theory first. So um, sitting in a classroom, going over sort of 
uh, the aircraft technical manuals <clears throat> and things like that and then you go into the sim and you do all your training in the simulator without going into too much because I could speak for hours about what you go through um, and then you do the you do your once you've been signed off um, on your LST which is your line simulator training um, you then go and do your base training which is you take a dash the first time you get to fly dash in real life you, you take one and you go and do a bunch of circuits in it so I did my base training at Presswick flew up from Birmingham <coughs> with a, a line training captain uh, sorry a training captain and um, did a bunch of circuits there once you pass your base training um, you then go on to your line training so you're learning more of the day-to-day -day commercial stuff like how to fill in um, a plug and how to do fuel calculations fill in a what? Um, a, a plug which is um, like your, your flight plan essentially um, and, and then it goes on from there um, it's and then you'll do your final line check which is you and a, a normal captain will fly um, usually about two sectors and there'll be someone on the jump seat that assesses me what I'm doing and if everything's fine you get signed off and you fly the line that's what it's that, that's, when people say flying the line that is day to day commercial flying fly the line um, sorry uh, last question for me then looking back at your career so far obviously this is quite um, a significant hiccup have you got anything that you'd do differently any anything or, or even regrets regrets is the wrong word but anything that you look back on and think oh perhaps if I'd have done this you know um not that I can think of everything to get to this stage I've been happy with maybe in a few years time when I have when I'm hopefully flying again I'll look back and go mm, maybe I should have done something slightly differently um it's it's one of those things where you can't vary it up too much because you've got to stick to the guidelines mm. so much. Would I have not? Would I've chosen not to fly with Flybe? Absolutely not, because it was the best 19, 18, 19 months of my life flying Aww. with Flybe. And I, I mean, it sounds cliche, but I got to do some awesome things, things that I never expected to do, and. You know, I, I look is it, sort of with Rosten respect. I look back and think, God, that was like I can't believe I was able to do that. You know, flying into London City, going over the top of Canary Wharf, and doing a five and a half degree glide slope <laughs> into into London City with Heathrow traffic a thousand foot above is insane. Um, so perhaps in, 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 you know, the joke will change from you never shutting up about being a pilot to you never shutting up about having a flown with Flybee before it went bust. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hits the pilot. Um, I mean, as I say, like, if I can get into regional flying again, there's a fair few airlines, thankfully there's a fair few airlines in the UK that are regional, and I'd, I'd like to hope employment opens up, hopefully, but I'm not, I'm not a picky person. Um, Beggars can't be choosers at the moment, unfortunately. So, I'll just go wherever the wind takes me. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist in the sense that I'm only 24 years old. It's, 
It's not like I've been doing this. I actually thought you were older than that. Thanks. Is that a compliment or? Um, but you know, I, I've still got plenty of time to to get settled. It it will rebound. Things will get back to normal at some point. It's when, not if. So I've just got to bide my time. Um, that's the most important thing. Um, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? I'd like to hope next year something can be sorted. I don't think I'd be surprised if anything happens this year. But we'll see. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'll I, I'm I will fondly look back at the time that I've had recently. What do you think about passengers clapping at the end of a flight? <laughs> do you clap a bus driver when you get off the bus? That's exactly what I wanted to hear. So <laughs> the podcast has come to an end. The wheels have touched down on the runway, come off the runway and taxiing to the gate. The passengers are already out of their seats, grabbing their bags from the overhead compartments. We press the brakes and everyone goes flying. The first officer's voice comes over the tannoy and it says... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to Edinburgh Airport. The local time is, at this time, nine, nine o'clock. Um, actually, to be fair, Sam, you never do an announcement on the ground. That's the cabin crew. I always do it in the air. So Wait to kill the joke, Dan. I was hoping you were going to go, thank you for flying with UCAR Podcast Airlines, but uh, oh. I didn't even have that. Oh. Jesus Christ. Party Sky I wonder if Flybe went bust. I like, I like that you included the, the pilot's uh, uh, bit as well. You know? Yeah, that, that's you've got to perfect your... Uh, <laughs> uh, welcome to London Heathrow. I did act, to be fair, um, I did actually forget where we were once whilst I was doing a PA, which didn't, you know... <laughs> on balance wasn't the best thing to do. The one where you write on the back of the guitar or something. <laughs> I um, I was like, because oh, my my, my <laughs> welcome PA's... to Kang Calcutta. Uh... My Michael Jackson, hello Bud- Budapest. <laughs> yeah, my PA usually goes along the. Well, I'll I'll mention where we are so that you can look out the window. Oh yeah, we're currently over. Oh, I don't actually know where we are, but we'll be in Edinburgh <laughs> soon. <laughs> Thank you for flying five Oh man. Good times. I mean, do you want do you want to sign us off, Dan, with your best pilot's voice, or I can give it a go if you want. Right. Well, um, thank you very much for listening today. Hope you've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, as always, um, do make sure that you join in the discussion on the forum, which is forums.airshows.co.uk. Um, if you like what you're hearing today, then you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify. Um, and various other um, media sharing platforms at the moment and we'll hopefully hear from you again soon thank you for flying with UCAR Podcast Airways <laughs>